Amen, indeed. Some of you, I know this is kind of a young congregation, <laughs> remember the 80s and the 90s. Uh, there was a, a bracelet that so many people would wear, particularly young people, but then even older people were wearing it. Some of you remember that? Yeah. W, W, there you go. Well, you're older than I thought. <laughs> what would Jesus do? That was stood for. A wonderful concept, a wonderful reminder. It's a great witnessing tool. Some enterprising marketers, however, turned this well-intentioned concept into a fashion and became fashionable. And lots of people were wearing that bracelet, WWJD. Uh, so much so that a lot of people were wearing it and didn't have a clue what it stands for. I will never forget a television interviewer who's going around and interviewing people who are wearing it. None of them have a clue. What, what does that mean? I don't know. It's a fashion. I remember back then we had an APD officer who was working with our security team here, and, and he told me a story. He said, I arrested one guy wearing this thing in his hand, and, and I said to him, do you know what this stands for? He said, Yeah. We want good dope. <laughs> Go figure. Well, this is not new. While I don't like to dwell on statistics, but when all the statistics of all kinds are coming up with the same results, I think we better take notice. And every survey, survey has indicated that in America, at least, between 60 to 65% of the young people who call themselves Christians, now remember that, those who call themselves evangelical Christians, they believe that there are many ways to God other than Jesus Christ. That, it breaks my heart. Uh, these are not non-believers. These are church folks. 63% of those who call themselves Christians believe that Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims and Christians, they all pray the same God. Again, these are parachurch kids and church kids. And not surprising, therefore, that when kids were wearing or adults were wearing this bracelet, what would Jesus do? They did not have a clue what it really means. It's not surprising. They didn't understand the depth of this meeting. In a very similar way, in the Old Testament, that was the, the same thing. People in the Old Testament were given by God what the greatest commandment is. And the greatest commandment summarizes all of the Ten Commandments. Because if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're not going to break the first five. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to break the second five. So the summary of the entire Ten Commandments in that great commandment, 
that the Scripture gave to the people in the Old Testament. Just like modern young people who did not know what this WWJD means, they recited the great commandments. They have a clue what it means. They never understood the commitment uh, of what it means to love God with all your heart. <laughs> the Jewish people at the time uh, wore that great commandment on their wrist. Since people were wearing watches, they wore it on their wrist. They wore it on their forehead, <laughs> and uh, particularly the pious ones. They nailed it to the, wall, to the post of their doors. They call it the mezuzah now. They still do it. Now, I have a dear friend, a Jewish friend, doesn't believe a thing, but when he comes to his house, he kisses it and touches it. This is a great commandment. It's supposed to contain the great commandment. Uh, was known in the Old Testament and the New as the Shama. Can you say that with me? I'm going to tell you now. Learned the Hebrew word. And the Hebrew people, because they memorize the Scripture, they're not like us who kind of, you know, memorize a verse and we're proud of it. They memorize whole books. They memorize whole Psalms. And the way they would rattle that Psalm or that passage from the Scripture, all you need to do, you mention the first word, the Shama, and they would immediately go, Shama, O Israel, and, and, and they rattle it. And then, for example, and I've seen that actually, um, if you say, the Lord is my shepherd, you don't have to say anything else. This is it. Uh, Yahweh Roy. And they will rattle Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and we just go through it. I've seen in Orthodox churches, in traditional churches, ritualistic churches, even today, said, our Father, and then the crowd immediately know what comes next, and they memorize the Lord's Prayer. So this was the Shama. The word Shama means, in Hebrew, means hear or listen. Not just hearing with the ear, I mean really intently listen or hear very carefully. And so the Shama, the reason it's called it the Shama is because the first word is hear or listen or Israel. Shama or Israel. Shama. Listen closely. Listen carefully. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> if it's put in my vernacular. Listen, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The Jewish children memorized that Shama <laughs> the moment they learned to talk. <laughs> as soon as they say, Mommy and Daddy, they learned the Shama. By the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, the rabbis have demanded that all Jewish men must recite the Shama twice a day. Twice a day. Yet, like the kids who are wearing <laughs> what would Jesus do bracelet, uh, they didn't have a clue as to the depth of that commandment means. The vast majority of the Jewish folks in the time of Jesus, they recited it, but their lives were far away from loving God 
with all their might, with all their strength, and with all their heart, and with all their mind. Twice a day they would recite it. Twice a day. Had to recite it. They placed it on the doorstep. And every time they came to the house, they kissed it. The mezuzah. And yet, their lives were far from loving God, let alone with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind. Evidence? When the Messiah arrived, who prophesied in every book of the Old Testament, His coming, His coming, His coming, details about His birth, death, and resurrection. When the Messiah arrived, according to their book, they rejected Him. What was happening is this. What they were saying with their lips, they were denying with their life. What they were proclaiming publicly, they were denying in practice. This was happening today. It's happening today. I just gave you some very painful statistics. There are Christian young people, they pack stadiums, and they will sing and dance for Jesus. The vast majority of them would say, oh, Jesus is my Savior, but not everyone's Savior. There are many ways to God. God does not limit Himself to one way. Jesus is not the only way, the truth, and the life for everyone. And they sing these catchy choruses in these big stadiums. But their lives are far from obedience to Christ. Listen to me. I don't blame them. I'm not putting the blame on them. I'm putting the blame on their preachers and teachers. And we're seeing that in the news every day, the so-called hell song movement in New York and in, in Texas and in Los Angeles. But these preachers are falling like flies. They taught superficiality, superficial Christianity. Christianity that is not biblical. It's so sad. It's so sad. We have come a long way from believing that God hears everything, that God knows everything, that God watches everything we do. He knows our hearts that He will hold us accountable for every idle words that uttered from our mouth. Now, I've got to confess to you, you know, I always come clean. In the old days, there were some songs that we would sing, and I'll stop. I can't sing. I couldn't sing. Because I stop and ask myself, do I really mean this? <laughs> Do I really live up to this? Do I really intend to do this? Do I is my life truly in line with this? Have I exhibited such a thing in my daily life? And on and on and on, and many times I'll repent before I can even join the song again. Listen to me. It's easy to sing. In fact, I remember 20 years ago or so, we had a, a song that we sang a lot, and it's called, 
more than anything, more than anything. I love you, Jesus, more than anything. Do you remember that? Many a times I stopped. It's like my friend Alistair Beggs said that sometimes these songs made more liars of us <laughs> than anything else. And I had to stop. Do I really mean this? Like the Old Testament Pharisees who recited the Shema twice a day, but their lives, living the life of holiness and righteousness is a different ballgame. And I'm going to ask you now to turn, please, to your, in your Bibles to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, if you don't have your own Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you, and it's page 1535, 1535, in the Pew Bible. Matthew 22:32. begin at verse 32. Matthew 22, 32 to 39. I'm going to explain the passage after we read it. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to read it all together, sought together. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not. When the crowds heard this, they astonished at this teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested. Replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second Father, we confess publicly that without the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, this is an impossibility. Lord, and you did not. Mark us by giving us an impossibility. But you were so gracious that when you ascended to heaven, you sent the paraclete 40 days later. And we're so grateful for that, that he is the one who opens our spiritual eyes that cannot see but can see by his power, by his strength, to do the things that you called us to do. And so we are grateful for your Holy Spirit. May he move freely in our midst. May he speak the words that your servant will speak. And we may all hear what you, Holy Spirit, have to say to us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said amen. amen. The context of this passage, and you see that very clearly here, is that the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, that they believed in life after death. 
when they saw that the Sadducees, these are your liberals, do you get that? In fact, uh, just think about them this way. They are sad, you see, <laughs> because they did not believe in the resurrection. They said, once you die, you die, and that's it. In many ways, there are a lot of Sadducees around. So the Sadducees were coming to try to trick Jesus to say something to support their argument that there's no life after death, that there's no resurrection. And Jesus just blew them away. Take my word for it. When you go home, read the rest of the passage. I mean, he did. He just wiped them out. With, with, with a very short response, he blew them away. Literally. Blew them off. And so the Pharisees kind of thought to themselves, they said, you know, these liberals, they could not argue with Jesus like we can. We know the Bible. We have the rabbis teaching about the Bible. We memorized all these things. We will know how to get him. The Sadducees failed because they don't know their Bible as well as we do. And now, let us trick him. Let's really get him because the, the Sadducees couldn't. And so they figured that if anyone can be a match for Jesus to trick him, to trap him, to say something that makes the crowd go against him, if they can find, if anyone can do that, it's a lawyer. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Lawyers. <laughs> You see, the lawyers back then were distinguished from the church leaders. They really were, were separate. And they uh, were actually considered to be more honest than the, church, the, le the religious leaders. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> I'm, I, 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 I'll let you imagine. I just use your imagination here. However, this particular lawyer that they have chosen to go against Jesus, debating Jesus, really was not very honest. I'm going to tell you why. He allowed his clients, the Pharisees, <laughs> uh, to use him to trick Jesus. So, at best, he had duplicity mixed with a measure of sincerity. Let's give him his due. But you have to understand, to the Pharisees, Moses is about as high as you're going to get. There is no one, not even Abraham. I mean, Moses was, was it. I mean, no greater than Moses. After all, he spoke with God face to face. After all, he was handed the Ten Commandments by God himself. After all, he delivered their ancestors from the slavery of Egypt. After all, I mean, he has done some great things, and he was considered to be the humblest man ever walked the earth. So the Pharisees are putting hope against hope that Jesus would teach something contrary to Moses, contrary to the Old Testament, contrary to the Scripture. Even though, listen to me, even though earlier in his ministry, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, early on, 
He has told them again and again and again that he did not come to abolish the commandment. He came to fulfill them. You got that? Say amen. amen. Nonetheless, they still want to trap him. They want to trap him teaching something contrary to the Old Testament. A lot of people want to ditch the Old Testament. But Jesus never taught anything contrary to the Old Testament. Just remember that. But they wanted to trap him so that they can get the crowd again, turn against him. What was Jesus' response to their trickery, to their trick question? <laughs> what is the greatest commandment? Without a moment's hesitation, the Lord turned to his Bible, to their Bible. Leviticus 15.37, repeated in Deuteronomy 6.4, affirm again and again, the Shema, say it with me again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Today I'm going to focus on loving God with your mind. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Uh, in the next couple of messages, I'm going to deal with the others. Why am I beginning with the mind? Because loving God with all your mind, not just with your mind, with all your mind means that you love God with your intellect, that you love God with your intelligence, that you love God with a determination and a commitment, and not as they were doing back then, and only loving God with their words, loving God with the rituals, but not with all of the totality of their being. Loving God with all of your mind means that it is not what you can get from God or what you can gain from God or what you can receive from God, but what you can give back to God in response to His love for you. To love God with consuming love. And to love God with all-consuming love is to obey His Word. Can I get an amen? amen. It's to obey Him unconditionally. It's not to go for a smorgasbord where I like this thing, and I like that part, and I like that one, I don't like this, and I like this, and I'm going to obey here, but not going to obey here. As I said... The lawyer was asked to trap Jesus. That was, his, that was his job. That was his task. Now, I personally, only God in heaven knows, and all my lawyer friends in this church know, I love them dearly. I really love the lawyers. Uh, a friend of mine who went to be with the Lord says, you know, lawyers and accountants will drive you crazy, but they'll keep you out of jail. I really love, love our lawyers. So I'm not going to repeat the old worn-out lawyer jokes, okay? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you a new one. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Because <laughs> I'm sure you have never heard this one. 
Do you remember the Six-Day War? The Six-Day War was in 1967. Some of you read about it in history books. Some of you are even old enough to hear it in the news. I lived in the Middle East during the Six-Day War. I was in the thick of it uh, when Israel was uh, attacked and fought their Arab neighbors on three fronts all at the same time, and yet they got victory. Now, I lived during those years in the Middle East, and a story told explaining how Israel was successful and victorious over three powerful uh, surrounding neighbors, um, and, 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 and the story goes that um, General Moshe Dayan, some of you remember, the guy had the patch. I had the privilege of meeting his nephew. He's also General Dayan, just retired when I met him a few years ago in Israel. Uh, General Moshe Dayan was recognized as a great strategist, as a great uh, commander. In fact, they brought him out of retirement so he can lead this particular war. And uh, uh, all the soldiers in Israel at the time all conscripted. They have a very small army, but all conscripted. And uh, to this day, as soon as you turn 18, you go to the army. But back then, all these professionals, they were engineers and they were doctors and they were pharmacists, they were lawyers, they were every, every profession known to men conscripted in the army. To, it's the life, they're fighting for their life. So they uh, started the war, and Moshe Dayan insisted that the lawyers all to be on the front line. <laughs> and they said, what? What are you doing that for? Do you hate the lawyers? He said, no, I love the lawyers. He said, why are they on the front line? He said, because when I say charge, they will do it with passion. <laughs> okay, that's it. When this particular lawyer, whose clients, the Pharisees, were trying to get him to trick Jesus, to expose him as an imposter, as somebody who's contradicting their Bible, they're contradicting their Old Testament, contradicting Moses. And when, so he comes to ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And they're literally waiting for him to say something that is contrary. Jesus did not give them anything new, nothing new. He did not give them something that they've never heard before. He did not uh, try to mesmerize them with some dazzling new fads or newfangled ideas. No. You often hear me say that. I say, if you think that I'm going to uh, preach some brilliant uh, thoughts or some newfangled uh, uh, philosophy or a fad or, or, or any of this stuff, uh, you, you'll be disappointed. You'll be disappointed. I only preach the book. I only preach from the book. I only get from the book. I only go to the Word of God because everything else will pass but not the Word of God. <laughs> Listen to me. If the Lord of glory, if the Lord of glory did not try to dazzle them with some new fad or new idea, fangled idea, how in the world is this pathetic servant going to come up with some new ideas? They're going to be basically disappearing 
And no time, people do that, and they draw crowds because they, they, they're coming up with mesmerizing people with what they like to hear. But in the end, it doesn't last. Only the Word of God remains forever. Just a reminder, especially those who are visiting with us who have not been with us the last two messages, that we're right dead smack in the middle of a series on how to grow your love for Jesus Christ. And I became convicted of this as I was teaching from the letters of Jesus to the churches in Asia Minor. And the church of Ephesus was an active church, live church, go doing all kinds of good things. But Jesus said, I have this one thing against you. You have lost your first love. And so I was convicted to bring this series of messages. Not, I don't want anybody at the sound of my voice ever hear from the lips of Jesus, I have this one thing against you. You have forsaken. You have, for, you have de departed from. You've lost your first love. I want you to grow in the love for Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? And so that is the series. And if you haven't been here, please download them. They're free. And listen to them. Back to the what Jesus said to the lawyer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your mind. That's what I'm focusing on today. With all your mind. Why? Why with all your mind? Listen to me, please. Because love, not the junk that you hear in the television and movies, real love, true love, godly love, biblical love, must begin, continue, and then end in death with commitment. Your biblical love, love must begin, continue, and then end in death in your mind, with your intellect, with your will. Marriage, listen to me, beloved friends, and this is the core of our problems and the difficulty of our problems that we're seeing in our culture today, because in marriage, the very core of husband and wife, love for each other, is commitment, ironclad commitment. Why? Because physical attraction will fizzle out. Physical health can fail. Possessions can make wings and fly and disappear overnight. Emotions go up and down. Uh, feelings is mercurial. Uh, strength can diminish. Ah, but ironclad commitment should not. Can I get an amen? amen. And when you love Jesus with all your mind, it is a determination that nothing will distract you. Nothing will distract you. I said more about that in the previous message. Again, download it about the distractions that takes our eyes off Jesus and loving Jesus with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our soul. Loving Jesus with all your mind means... He's first and foremost. He's first and foremost. 
I know I'm being nostalgic today in this message, but bear with me, please, because some of you will know what I'm talking about. And in the 80s and the 90s, there were a lot of Christian motivational speakers. God bless them. They were giving speeches in churches and in conferences and conventions and writing books, how to order your priorities, how to order your life, and how to... And every one of them basically would agree that this is four priorities, and they they must follow in this order. God, family, work, church. God, family, work, church. Can you see anything wrong with that? No. But I want to tell you, I failed miserably. (laughs) I tried to do that, and I failed miserably. So the other people that I knew, (laughs) let's just be honest, okay? Play the game here with more priority. Yeah, and people put them down, you know, affirmation every day, God. I'll tell you why I failed miserably, and so is everybody else for that matter. (laughs) First of all, I realize it's a cop-out. It's a cop-out because we are physical. We're physical, right? And what catches our physical eyes, what is visible to us, is going to grab our attention. And I can say, God, family, all that stuff, a million times ain't going to make any difference because I am being immediately focused on what's in front of me, what my eyes can see. That's what occupies my priority. That was, is the focus of, of my love. Unless, listen to me, unless you are super spiritual, okay? But listen to me, I'm not. <laughs> any, of you, any of you think I'm super spiritual? I want to disabuse you of that. <laughs> I'm not. You say, Pastor, you confess? Yeah, of course I'm confessing. Absolutely. The moment you think you're super spiritual, you're in trouble. Now, <laughs> Mama did not bring any fools. So I, I, I basically failed, and I failed miserably. Because this so-called list of priorities, God, family, work, church, and all that stuff, it's it just on paper. It sounds good. has no relationship to reality. Finally, as I went to the Lord in, in utter desperation, Literally, I was, I, I was weeping before God. I said, I'm failing every time. And God did not destined us to failure. And I realized the image the Lord gave me at the time is that of an axle of a bicycle. Think of a bicycle tire, of, of, of a bicycle tire. Just think of it this way. I should have had something visible to, to show you what I mean. But you'll, you use your imagination, Okay. If my love for Jesus is the axle, <laughs> every other love, the spoke that comes out of that, as to go out, in and out, and in and out of that tire, everything is ordered around that, that love for God. All other loves revolve around my love for God. 
Jesus is the hub around which all my life's priorities, all my love's priorities emanate from and goes back to. Jesus is the center of all my other loves. Hear me right, please. Because otherwise, God will always get the short end of the stick. You know I'm telling you the truth, right? What will God get? He will get the leftover. He will get the crumbs. But loving God with my mind, it means that he gets the first fruit of the day, not the rotten fruit at night when I'm tired. It means that he gets the first fruit of my money, not the leftover. It means that he gets consulted and his will is sought before I embark on any ventures or any ideas or any vision instead of jumping ahead of him, which I've done before, and failing miserably, and cry out to him, God, get me out of this. Jesus made it very simple. If you love me, you obey me. Hello. You love me, you obey my word. You're not going to pick and choose. You're not going to say, well, you know, I don't like this thing about, well, I like this thing, and I don't like this thing, but I like this thing. Obeying requires a decision of the mind. The determination of the will is why we say, make up your mind. <laughs> make up your mind. It is a determination. In fact, the word decision is, me, is cutting that you're making one, uh, deciding for one thing over against the others, rejecting all the others. In the next message, I'm going to show you how to love Jesus with your imagination of your soul. But I started with the mind because it's vitally important. Because if your will is in gear and ready to go, all of the other things are going to fall in place. I want to conclude by again being truthful with you, being upfront. You see, I'm aware. Only two are aware that our past failures are like chains that will hold us back and keep us from going in our love for Jesus. I know that experientially. And that is why, I, as I bring this message to conclusion, I plead with you, just listen to me, please. In fact, I remember reading a story, and that reminded me of my spiritual condition. And the story about an elderly gentleman who was having trouble with his memory, with his past memories. And he really went to get 
checked with the doctors, experts have examined him. And after they came to the conclusion, we can operate on you, and, but if we fix that memory part of your brain, there is a danger of impairing your eyesight. The decision is yours. The choice is yours. Would you rather be able to see or remember? I remember reading that and left an indelible mark on me in the struggle that I was going through at the time. The man's immediate response was as follows. I would rather have my eyesight than my memory anytime. I would rather see where I'm going than remember where I've been. And I said, spiritually speaking, that's me. That's me. Spiritually speaking, it works the same way. And back then I made up my mind that I will not allow past failures, I will not allow past sins, I will not allow past misery, I will not allow past hurt, I will not allow past bitterness to hold me back from growing in my love for Jesus with all my mind. And I appeal to you to do the same. I appeal to you, I appeal to you to do the same. Let the past be the past. You will be pleasantly surprised, I promise you, you'll be pleasantly surprised of how much God will use you. When you let the past be the past and you focus your attention, your mind, your will, your desire on loving Jesus and growing in your love for Jesus, you will be amazed at what you will accomplish for Jesus. Things that you thought impossible. Let me tell you something. I can write a book on how many things that God has opened doors and done things that many people have said to me, it's impossible. And I will say to them, the devil already told me that. <laughs> but I serve the God of the impossible. But it all begins with a determination of the mind that you're going to love God with all your mind. Say that with me. With all your mind. Can you say it with enthusiasm? Why? Because that honors God. That honors God. And when you honor God, He honors you back. That's very biblical. I honor those who honor me, says the Lord. Will you pray with me? Let's stand up together. Father, I pray for that person whether here in this building or watching on Kingdom Sat around the world or online or whatever they may be, that person who is allowing their past pain, the past hurt, and the past anger, and the past bitterness to be used by Satan as a chain to constantly pull them back from loving you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, break the chain. 
Break the chain in Jesus' name. You are a chain breaker. You're the God of power and might. And Lord, you've done it in the life of so many people. I know you can do it again. And everybody at the sound of my voice, I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord.